morning. Another beautiful day the Lord has blessed us with that we can come together. Hebrews, or Hebrews. I'm going to read from Hebrews in a minute. We're going to actually talk about the book of Acts this morning. Let me pull up this uh, first slide here. A record of commitments, the title of the lesson, based upon Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 8, really kind of focusing on, on verse 8 there. It's kind of the springboard into the lesson. As we think about commitment, commitment is a promise to do or to give something. And the book of Acts is a book of commitment. And there are three points I want us to give consideration to this morning. First of all, we'll talk about Jesus and his commitment. And then we'll talk about admirers and followers. And then we'll talk about our book of Acts as a record of commitment. And I'll just pull up that first point, Jesus and commitment. So as we kind of get into this, let me ask you this question. Whenever you think of commitment, what comes to mind? And then the question that goes along with that, for this lesson anyway, whenever you think about involvement, what comes to mind? When you think about involvement, when you think about commitment, what is it that comes to mind? So I'll give you the old illustration that's been used many times before. A farmer was asked on one occasion, what's the difference between involvement and commitment? And he said, well, if you have bacon and eggs for breakfast, have you heard this already? (laughs) If you have bacon and eggs for breakfast, the chicken is involved, the pig is committed. (laughs) Now, as you think about that, We think, well, that's kind of funny. But there's a lot of truth that is contained in that statement about involvement and commitment. So let me ask you another question to go along with that. As Christians, do you think Jesus is looking for us to be involved? Or do you think he is looking for us to be committed? I want you to keep that in mind. Famous coach, Vince Lombardi. They said one of the reasons why, this Green Bay Packers, right? One of the reasons why he was so successful is because he could get people to commit. They believed in him, and they believed in his program, in his plan. And they said that's why his teams were so successful, because they would commit to him, and they would commit to his plan. As you think about Jesus Christ, now I want to read from Hebrews, the 10th chapter, and verses 5 through 7. And think about Jesus and you think about his commitment. In verse 5 it says, Therefore, when he, that's speaking about Jesus, therefore, when he came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you had no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come in the volume of the book it is written of me to do your will, O God. When he came into the world, it says it is written in the book, I came to do your will, O God. Jesus was committed to the Father and he was committed to his plan. And that commitment is what brought him from heaven to a manger in Bethlehem. That commitment is what caused him to grow up in Nazareth. That commitment is what caused the creator of the universe to become a carpenter. 
That commitment is what caused him to go to the Jordan to be baptized by John. That commitment is what allowed the Spirit to guide him into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. That commitment is what led him to be a great spiritual teacher, the greatest the world has ever known. That commitment gained him numerous followers. But that commitment gained him even more enemies. That commitment led to the cross. That commitment led to the tomb. But it was that commitment that brought the resurrection. That commitment is what took him back to glory. Jesus was committed to the Father and he was committed to his plan. That's why Peter said in Acts, the second chapter, about verse 36, this same Jesus whom you have crucified, he has now been made both Lord and Christ. What was Peter saying? Jesus was committed, committed to the Father and committed to his plan. He said, when I came into the world, you prepared a body for me. And in that body, I showed that I was committed to my Father and to his plan. I want you to think for just a moment, and as we sort of contrast for just a moment, the idea of beginnings and of staying committed. Think about that. Think about your own life. Beginnings and staying committed. So I ask you another question. Have you ever started a diet? Bill Fairchild, I remember on one occasion in a sermon, he said, and Bill was kind of famous for going on diets, you know. (laughs) And he said, have you ever noticed the first three letters of that word? It's (laughs) D-I-E. By about the third day, you feel like you're going to (laughs) die. And so oftentimes we start, and then a little while later we ask, how are you doing with that? And you say, well, not so good. Have you ever started an exercise program, but maybe you don't really stick with it? Have you ever in the summertime seen a house that is half painted or a yard that is half mowed? Human beings are infamous for making beginnings and then not sticking with it and really being committed. So let me give you something else to think about along these lines. Oftentimes we as humans, we have a tendency to make emotional decisions. That sounds like a good idea. I'm going to do that. Until we realize that's a lot of work. And it's like, maybe I won't do that. And so people have said that passion is the quickest thing to develop, but it is also the quickest thing to fade. Intimacy, and I want to define this because intimacy doesn't just mean relations between a man and a woman. The word intimate carries the idea of being familiar with, to become knowledgeable of. Passion flashes. Intimacy develops more slowly. 
commitment is even more gradual still. So sometimes we make snap decisions and then we quit. Sometimes we start and we become intimate with something and we begin to realize what's required. And then when we decide to stay with it, we make a commitment. So the New Testament is full of examples of success and failure. I'm going to give you just a couple to give consideration to as we think about this. First of all, over in the book of Matthew, about the 26th chapter in verses 33 through 35, and I think most of us are probably familiar with this particular occasion. This is that night when Jesus is with his apostles for the last time, and he's telling them what's going to happen. In Matthew chapter 26, beginning at verse 33, this is right after Jesus has told them what's going to happen that night. Verse 33, Peter answered and said to him, Even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you that this night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter said to him, Even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And so said all the disciples. Just prior to that, back in verse 31, Jesus is quoted from the book of Zechariah. And he says, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. And Peter says, oh no. Now let me ask you, in that moment, was it passion? Was it intimacy? Or was it commitment? It was passion. And Peter says, I won't deny you. (laughs) And Jesus said, this very night, before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. And Peter says, not even if I have to die. Fast forward to John, the 21st chapter. And about verses 21 through uh, 25, or 1 through 25, is the occasion there. This is after Jesus has gone to the cross. This is after the resurrection. And these are the days that are following, and the apostles are still kind of confused as to what they ought to do. And Peter says, I'm going fishing. (laughs) And the other said, we'll go with you. And so they just went back to what they know. And they go back to fishing. And then Jesus appears on the shore that morning. And he has breakfast with Peter. And he asks him some questions. He actually asks him one question. And he asks it three times. Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, yes. Peter, do you love me? Yes. Peter, do you love me? Yes. Peter finally says, you know all things, Lord. You know that I love you. Verses 18 and 19, John, the 21st chapter. Most assuredly, listen to what Jesus says. Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you are old, 
you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, Follow me. What's Jesus saying to Peter? Peter, I want to know, do you love me? Yeah. You know all things. Well, let me tell you something. You've said it in a moment of passion before. You have had a chance to become somewhat intimate with me. But when commitment really knocked at the door, you disappeared. So now I'm going to tell you once again. I'm going to tell you what commitment requires, Peter. When you're older, somebody's going to gird you. Somebody's going to guide you. Somebody's going to take hold of you and they're going to take you where you do not want to go. And in verse 19, he said these things signifying by what kind of death he would suffer. And then he said, follow me. Commitment, Peter. I don't want you to be involved. I want you to be committed, Peter. I want you to be committed. So what's he saying? When you were younger, you did as you wished. You came and you went. But when you were older, they will gird you and guide you where you do not want to go. But you follow me. You know what he's saying? Peter, you've got to surrender your will to my will. Does that sound anything like Hebrews 10? When I came into this world, a body was prepared for me, and in the volume of the book it is written, I have come to do your will, O God. (laughs) And that commitment led Jesus to this earth and ultimately to the cross, but ultimately to the resurrection because He was glorified because He was faithful. He was committed to the Father. You know what Peter will write later in 1 Peter 2 and verse 21? (laughs) I know you know these words. He has left us an example that we should follow in His footsteps. What's Peter saying? I come to understand Commitment. I knew passion. I knew intimacy. I was familiar with it. But I had to come to understand commitment. Matthew, the 19th chapter, there's another occasion. There's a rich young ruler that comes to see Jesus. And he comes to him and he says, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Do you think that's passion? Do you think that's intimacy? Or do you think that's commitment? Well, as you continue to follow the rest of the story, he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, keep the commandments. And how does the rich young ruler reply? Oh, I've kept those from my youth up. You know what he's saying? 
right now in this moment, I want to know what I got to do to have eternal life. And then Jesus says, keep the commandments. And the young man responds, I know that. I'm intimate with that. I'm familiar with that. I've done that from my youth up. Jesus said, okay. Now we're going to find out. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor and come follow me. And what's he do? He went away very sad because he had many possessions. Jesus asked him, can you commit? And he went away. Oh, he was passionate. He had been intimate. But he couldn't totally commit. Hebrews 10. Then I said, Behold, I have come in the volume of the book that is written to me to do your will, O God. I want you to think with me for just a moment. If I get the second point to come up. Let's think about admirers. (laughs) And let's think about followers. Jesus has told Peter, follow me. He has told the rich young ruler, follow me. And he's wanting a commitment. But you think about admirers and you think about followers. I'm going to turn to the Gospel of Matthew, the 7th chapter. This is at the close of the Sermon on the Mount. I want to read verse 24 through 29. This is the close of the Sermon on the Mount. Therefore, therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house. And it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house. And it fell, and great was its fall. And so it was, when Jesus had ended these sayings, that the people were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not of their scribes. An illustration of two builders and giving a choice, build on the rock or build on the sand. Now I want you to notice verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father, which is in heaven. And then he offers the illustration. Will you build on the rock or will you build on the sand? Will you reap the benefits of hearing my words and doing them? Or will you suffer the consequences of hearing my words and not doing them. The very close of the Sermon on the Mount. It says when the people heard what Jesus said, they were astonished. They were amazed. In other words, they admired what Jesus had to say. But the majority, they never committed to what Jesus had to say. 
There were times during Jesus' ministry when he was extremely, extremely popular. But the question that Jesus was asking and the answer that he was praying for was very simply this. I want to know. Here he is at the close of the Sermon on the Mount. And what I want to know is, are you an admirer? Or are you a follower? You see why verse 21 is there? Not everyone who says unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father, which is in heaven. Are you an admirer? He had a lot of admirers. Or are you a follower? Let me give you this illustration. You ever heard of a guy by the name of Michael Phelps? I think most of us probably recognize that name. A swimmer. Olympic. Olympian. He has won more medals than any Olympian in the history of the Olympic Games. I watched Michael Phelps swim on more than one occasion. I was impressed by that guy. He was an amazing swimmer. You might even say I was an admirer of Michael Phelps. But you know what? I've thought about this before. I think Michael Phelps appeared in like four different Olympic games. Think about that. I think the first time he went to the Olympics, he was just 15 years old. That was the first. And then repeated three more times and won medals in all of them. And I could say, I admire that kind of dedication. But there's a difference. I'm fully confident that during that period of time, there was probably some little kid sitting there and he's watching Michael Phelps swim and he's not just an admirer. He's sitting there watching Michael Phelps swim and he said, I'm going to be just like Michael Phelps. And so you know what he did? He started reading about Michael Phelps. He started watching videos about Michael Phelps. He started reading what kind of diets, what kind of exercise programs, how does Michael Phelps train, what kind of coach did he have, how early in life did he have a coach? What have I got to do to be like Michael Phelps? He was a follower. He was a follower of Michael Phelps. I'm an admirer. I never got in the water. (laughs) That kid was a follower. Five o'clock in the morning, four o'clock in the morning, the alarm goes off. feet hits the floor and he's headed to the pool there's a big difference between being an admirer and being a follower now at the beginning of the sermon on the mount 
Matthew chapter 5. Seeing the multitudes, seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain. And when he had seated, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, There was the multitudes, and there were the disciples. And a disciple is a learner, and he is a follower. And so they're there, the disciples and the multitude. And many heard, and many admired. But out of all those people that followed after Jesus and listened to Him, there was only few that ever truly followed, that truly committed. But in verse 29 of chapter 7, they were amazed at His teaching. But you know, as I think about that, and I think about all those that heard, I think there were some in that crowd. And when they saw him, and when they heard him, something snapped. And their heart got beat, got a little faster. And their mind started to spin. And they said, I'm going to be like him. What he's talking about is what I want. And whatever he requires, I'm going to do. And I would rather have what he's offering than anything in this world. I would give my life to be like him. So in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus describes the kind of life that he's talking about. In the early part, he talks about character and the kind of character that his followers will have. And then he talks about the influence on the world that his followers will have. And then he talks about how to treat other people. And he talks about how being devoted and trusting in God for daily bread And how they should seek the kingdom of God first. And then, at the close of the Sermon on the Mount, he tells them how they can have it. If this sounds like something you're interested in, he's going to close by telling them how they can have it. Matthew 7 and verse 21, Not everyone who says unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father which is in heaven. That's how you can, that's how you can have it. And then he gives the illustration. He who hears these words of mine and acts upon him is like a man who built his house on the rock. And the one who hears these words of mine and does not do them is like the man who built his house on the sand. And that's the choice. Do you want it? Then listen and do it. So Matthew 7 and verses 13 and 14. 
he gives another illustration. So there's bookends, illustrations. In the middle is Matthew 7 and verse 21. Listen to verse 13 and 14. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. You know what he follows that up with? Beware of false prophets. Do you think there'll be some come along and say, Oh no. You can have the kingdom and you don't have to do what he says. Can you see why he bookends verse 21 now? Enter by the narrow gate. Because there are going to be a lot that go down the broad way. Build your house on the rock. Don't build it on the sand. Not everyone who says unto me, Lord, Lord, that's just an admirer, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father, which is in heaven. So what Jesus is saying is, there's a narrow road, and then there's a broad way. But there's no third way. And see, sometimes false prophets come along and go, ah, oh, you don't have to necessarily choose. And Jesus is saying, no, there's a narrow way, and there's a broad way. And there's no third way. There are those who hear and do, and then those who don't. There's no third way where you can kind of mix and match a little. There are those who build on the rock and there are those who don't. There's no third way. There's not something else out here you can build on. So it comes down to are you an admirer or are you a follower? And will you commit or will you not? And so Peter says in Acts 2 and verse 36, the same Jesus whom you crucified is now both Lord and Christ. If he's your Savior, he's your Lord. And there's no third option. Now then, Acts is a record of commitment. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, it's where Jesus has spoken to the apostles. And he says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and unto the utmost parts of the world. So what's Jesus asking from them? I need your commitment. Because you're part of the plan. And just like I committed to the plan... I want you to commit to the plan. A lot of times we say the book of Acts is a book of conversions, and it is. But it's also a record of commitment. And it's a record of the disciples in the first century, and it's a record of the church coming to life. Acts begins in Jerusalem, and it ends in Rome. 
It opens with the Holy Spirit falling on a few. And then those few tell the message of Jesus Christ. And then in telling the message, that will lead to them being persecuted. Now stop and think about that for a moment. Peter says, I won't deny you. (laughs) Well now Peter, you know something about passion, don't you? How it can flare up and then die just as quickly. But the time you spent with me, we became more intimate. And now you understand a little bit more of the plan. And now I want you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the utmost parts of the world. And what happens? We've just been studying. In the early part of the book of Acts, as Peter and John are declaring that Jesus is the Christ and He's been resurrected from the dead, persecution. (laughs) Now, you're starting to learn intimacy. But I'm going to ask a whole lot more of you. Legend has it that Peter ultimately will be crucified upside down. Because of his commitment to Jesus Christ. And John, he'll write the book of Revelation. Remember where he is? (laughs) He's been banished to the Isle of Patmos. Now you understand commitment. So those few remain committed. But their commitment, and those few will soon turn into 3,000. And then 5,000. And then ultimately, we'll see the missionary journeys. And we'll see disciples all over the empire. And we'll see churches spring up. And in John, the 16th chapter and verse 13, Jesus had promised the apostles on that last night that he was with them, that the, the Holy Spirit would come and guide them into all truth. In the early part of the book of Acts, where we just started, where we've been studying, it's just getting started. (laughs) We'll see the Holy Spirit guiding them. And they'll teach faith in Jesus Christ and how to be saved, just like Peter did on the day of Pentecost. And very early on, what happens? We see how they handle benevolence and they're being guided into all truth and how to handle that. And see to one another's needs. And then eventually we'll see churches spring up. And we'll see the appointment of elders. And we'll see they meet on the first day of the week. And we'll see they take the Lord's Supper. And we'll watch as the truth unfolds. Now I want you to notice something else and we talked about this a little bit in class this morning. It's one thing to say that God is everywhere. It's another thing to say that God is here. 
In Acts chapter 2, when the Spirit falls, Peter quotes from the Old Testament book of Joel, and he says that this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And what is he saying? This is what you are seeing. This is what you are hearing. And this was prophesied. In other words, God is here. And it's testimony to the fact that He is here and He is with them. In Acts chapter 3, we just studied about Peter and John going up to the temple. And Peter healing a lame man. And he says it is through his name that this man is made whole. This is testimony that God is here. He's with us. Acts chapter 4, after they are released and they go back to the house of some disciples and they pray together and the whole house is shaken. That is testimony. He is here. He is with us. That what they are doing is right. And they are committed to God. And God is committed to them. Acts chapter 5. They'll be arrested again. Because they just won't shut up. And this time they'll threaten them again. But this time they'll beat them before they release them. And when they leave, they go on their way rejoicing that they have been counted worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. That does not change my commitment. And it's interesting in Acts chapter 6 and verse 1, after Peter and John have been released, after they have been beaten, in Acts chapter 6, as it begins, it says, Now in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplying (laughs) their commitment is leading to more and more disciples they were with God and God was with them it's Jesus and commitment it's knowing admirers and followers and then looking at the book of Acts and it's a record of commitment. Jesus says, You shall be my witnesses. That's not just verbally, it's their life also. You shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the utmost parts of the world. The king was on his throne, the new covenant was unfolding, they were being guided by the Holy Spirit. And that kingdom was going to spread. But there's no middle ground. It's a crusade for Christ. And it's a crusade for commitment. It's surrender to Him. That's the record of commitment from the book of Acts. But He asked the same thing of us today. And as we think about our initial obedience, Jesus said, He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. But He asked for more than just that. Because in the book of Revelation, remember that, chapter 2 and verse 10? Be ye faithful unto death, and you shall receive a crown of life. So we think about Platte City. And we think about us. And we think about assembling And we think about worshiping. And we think about encouraging one another. What are we encouraging? 
people to be admirers or people to be followers and to be committed. If we can help you in any way with your relationship with Jesus Christ, you let us know while together we stand and while we sing.